Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles. I'm the host of the Sendcast. I'm also the managing director of B Squared. If you are a new listener, then welcome to the Sendcast. The aim of the podcast is simple. We want to reach lots of people and help you all learn more about special educational needs and disability. The main focus of the podcast is to increase the knowledge of teachers in schools, but the podcast supports all professionals working with children or young people with SEND, and it also benefits parents and carers of all children. In this episode, I'm discussing teaching students from the inside out with my guest, Dr. Susie Nyman. Susie is the curriculum manager at the Sixth Form College in Farnborough, and she has spent her teaching career really looking at how people learn and adapting her teaching to support all pupils. The Sendcast is created and produced by us here at B-Squared. We are the assessment people. We help show the small sets of progress pupils with SEND make. We help schools show progress for a wide range of abilities and ages. And if you're a primary school struggling to show progress or are struggling to identify where a pupil isn't making progress, we can help. Visit the B-Squared website or click on the meeting link in the show notes to book a meeting with me to take you through our assessment software. Let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing teaching students from the inside out. What do we mean by this and what does it look like? My guest is Dr. Susie Nyman, uh, one of our regulars and the curriculum manager at the Sixth Form College in Farnborough. She is passionate about discovering how children learn and supporting them in ways which enable them to succeed. She has provided training to PGCE students at Kingston University and in a number of local schools and colleges on teaching strategies. She also delivers talks on multi-sensory techniques around the world. Um, And I always look forward to podcasting with Susie because I never know what to expect. Welcome to the show, Susie. Thank you very much, Dad. I'm so looking forward to this morning. To using the old operation game. Oh, there we go. From- <laughs> I, I literally, I watched her walk in the office this morning and she's got her case. The operation game is under her arm and I know I have no idea what to expect. So in the information you sent me about learning from the inside out, you've written that it was important to find the student's agency. And this is a very educational term. I think I've only ever used it or heard it on the podcast. I've not seen it written anywhere else. You know, they're going, I'm not quite sure what that means. So I did some research, and what I found is a lot of people can't say what it means. They just use the term without saying what it is. And the definitions I did find were describing actual organisations. And when I had to really read through it all and work it out, and Susie said, I'm quite good on this definition, so I'm quite happy and proud of myself for doing my homework well. Because when you talk of an agent, you're typically referring to someone acting on your behalf, helping you achieve a goal like an estate agent or a travel agent. You've got your goal, they're going to help you get there. And a student's agency is them helping themselves to achieve the goals, their goals, by understanding themselves and knowing what they need to do, knowing what, they, what makes them tick, and using that to help them achieve. And that's roughly right, isn't it, Susie? You're quite happy with that definition. Yeah, I think so. I was on the train one day from Waterloo back to Reading, and there was this chap in the buffet car necking back cans, and he says, what do you do for a living? I said, oh, I'm a teacher. And he said, well, how do you get the students to um, do their work? And I said, well, I find out from the inside out, you know, how they tick, you know, if they work in a chip shop or if they've got a disabled mother or brother or sister or something like that. And he said, 
you find the agency, Susie. You find the agency that makes them tick. I says, oh, thank you very much. I'll go and write that in my quality improvement plan next year, next time, next year, and I'll keep using it because it seems to be a good word to use. So I get into the class and I go round when they're working and I'll go to the first girl, if you're a brother or sister, where do you come from? What's your hobbies? And so when I'm teaching, I'll then link that in. It could be, for example, a boy who's really into rugby. So I might look at the reactivity series and then look at how those boys run faster. And so he'll then name all the different boys in the team. And then I'll link those to the different elements or metals in the reactivity series. And then he understands it better. So that's why that's what I do. I think it is. It's about, I think, but you do that with everything. So, um, Every time you talk to someone, you kind of, you're not your full self. And what I mean by that, you're not changing yourself. But Susie shares with me a certain amount of her personality. She goes, what's interesting? What would Dale enjoy? What have we discussed before? What has Dale responded to? And you share that. And we all kind of do that. So the conversations you have with one friend might revolve around films or stuff on TV. And then you have another friend you talk to who's in the same job. So you immediately talk about the job. So you're not changing who you are, but you're, you're, the conversation you're having is relative to your audience. And that's what you're saying with the teaching it is actually, if you know more about them, you can make your teaching much more relative and much more engaging to them. Yeah. And, and, and relate to them. It's relatability. If, if you know someone in the class, enjoys horses you link it to horses you know and you'll discuss a concept and then that student's got to link it to what what they're interested in and they'll then remember it better so why have you brought in the game operation apart from just to play operation because i used to play it as a child and it's such good fun isn't it and then i could use that buzzing noise you know when you play it and i thought it's a really good example of how to teach those students from the inside out and go through the different parts and link them to our students. It's really important to teach those students from the inside out to understand the way they tick and find solutions. And all these props I've made over the years that are in my multisensory toolkit, they're all based on individual boys or girls that I've worked with and finding a way that can help them learn in the future. And as soon as you get in that classroom, I can tell in the first minute what they're going to look like just by the way they sit. And so it's important to know their feelings. You can tell by the way they hold their head, whether they sit up straight, whether they're leaning back in the chair. Are they ready to start to learn? That's really important. You can't start going through the respiratory system with them if they're just not on board with you to start with. So you've got to work out what's going on and see if they're all okay. Now, as they come in, in health and social care anyway, we find there's quite a bit of emotional baggage. And what happens is, here's a nice emotional backpack I've bought today. Hang on, I'm just going to undo the zip. Oh, do you know what's inside, Dale? What would be inside? You might have um, alcohol. They might, they might have been drinking the night before. There might be drugs. They might be really upset about something that's happened that morning. They might miss the train. So you never know what's in their emotional backpack. And you have to find out what's in their emotional backpack, because if you don't know, you can't teach them because they're going to be switched off. If you're looking at a student and, and they normally sit, you know, lying in the chair or swinging in it, well, that's normal behaviour. But if all of a sudden they've got their head on the desk, have you ever seen that emotion from that student? If that's quite odd, 
then you need to go around and speak to them. And are those emotions appropriate in the lesson? If someone just starts randomly singing in the lesson, you know, when we're all supposed to be quiet, what is the reason for that? Why is that student behaving like that? Why is that student being confrontational? And one of the teachers said that, you know, what you see from the outside is just a small amount of what's going on inside. And that turmoil they might be going through on the inside might be quite horrific. And so finding a little bit about them and understanding their emotions is really important. You see, we've done a podcast on student icebergs. A lot of people talk about with icebergs is in the classroom, you see the top of that iceberg. You're seeing what they're either uh, allowing you to see or when they're struggling, kind of what comes out. But underneath that waterline, you have their home life, the causes, their relationships, their own struggles with various things, any impairments, any needs, all that lot, which they might not want to share. There's, it gets very complex and you've just got this bit on the surface which you've got to respond to and you've somehow, to really support them, you've got to try and find out what is under that water, which can be very hard. You do and you have to be aware of it. And sometimes, you know, I can tell that they're going to have a meltdown. I said to you before, I take them out into my multi-sensory garden. And it's quite interesting that you just find students out there, you know, just sitting there isolated just to calm down and find a safe place. And if they aren't feeling very good, then I take them out there, have a chat, and they come back in when they're ready. What I still love about hearing you talk about multi-sensory garden is you are at a college. You're not at a, a school with a, with a sixth form. You are at a college, a 16 to 19 or however old, and they're going out and they're doing courses. They're getting qualifications, but they're still benefiting from a sensory garden. And I think some people think of sensory things as for very low achievers, but it has a benefit for all of us. It just is a nice, relaxing place. Yeah, there's a couple of benches and either side we've got vegetable trucks and I've got in there lemon balm and um, lavender, um, also rosemary. Um, I put in some lemon verbena last week. Um, and and the caretakers, actually, the groundsmen, had a delivery of flowers. So I've um, put in some marigolds and um, lots of other flowers in there that they had. And, and the girls that I found in there last week, they said, I like coming here, Susie. It's beautiful. And I never thought of it as being beautiful. I just thought of it being a safe place for people to go to, you know, and to smell the lovely scents from the herbs and things like that. Um, and you just find groups of them then. They're single, one, single students or groups of them there just enjoying listening to the birds and looking at the beautiful cedar tree and just getting away from the hubbub of the day. I think you think about, you think, oh, I want a really quiet place. You might go to a, a, a nice empty room. You go, actually, this is not great because I'm not distracted. Whereas I think going to that multi-sensory garden, you might have the smells, you might have the colours of the flowers, but you also have, insects or birds and you can either hear them and see them which just distract you which is a great thing for just having that calm down not getting caught up and going around in circles over something that's annoyed you or made you you can literally just get distracted and let that thought just drift off somewhere else which is but i love the fact that it is being used with 16 to 18 year olds who are at college and i just think certain people think multi-sensory they think the least able, the most complex, that's why you have it, but it's not, it's for everyone. 
It's not. It's for students and staff. One of the members of staff went out there because it could be you're in an open plan office and it's really noisy and you just want five minutes to be able to do your marking. I said, come down to my garden. Come, down, come and do your marking in my garden and just listen to the birds and look at the trees and quietly get your marking done. She said, oh, thank you, Susie. She just went down there. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. Um, we were talking earlier about connecting your own personal experiences. And um, what I was going to say this morning is that we've been watching a few films recently and um, we've been studying cystic fibrosis. It could be heart disease and stuff like that. And we watched this film um, five feet apart about someone with cystic fibrosis. And some of the students have seen it before. And I didn't know that. They started crying at the end. It really got them. And that emotional connection with the film, they then remembered, you know, if they're going to be tested on cystic fibrosis, they then remembered it um, really well. And we kept going back to it. And there might be a student in there with asthma. And so they then link it to that student. And um, we also watched this film, Body Under Pressure, about John, who's got coronary heart disease. And so it's really good to link, you know, the films to them. It could be someone in their family's a coronary heart disease, a relative. It could be um, their grandparents or be their parents. So it's really good to connect their own experiences to remember that information and help them retrieve it as well. And sometimes, especially when you're young, oh, grandpa's got coronary heart disease. You're like, oh, okay. I know what that means. And actually then going to college and learning about yeah. it, it then helps you piece together why people were upset, why mm-hmm. it was such a big deal, why we did this. You're going, okay, yeah, it helps them, then it will link to it and it'll help, yeah. There's lots of things to make, linking things together and the emotions are really important. Yeah, and I think something that, that we watched recently in the, in the Children Act about Adam Henry, who's 17 years, nine months old, just under 18, and the whole crux of the film is the welfare of the child is paramount. And um, the judge has to make to the decision whether he has a blood transfusion or not. And it's really interesting to see the student's perspectives because he's a Jehovah's Witness. Should he have the blood transfusion, yes or no? And it's really good to use these films and to sort of get into the nitty gritty of it and to be able to form an argument essay with them. And they really understand it, get really emotional about it, you know. It's quite nice. Yeah, because sometimes you sit there and go, well, of course he should. He should have blood. It will save his life. You're going, but if it goes against his beliefs, what's mm. the forward him? It's just lots of. Yeah. And it's, yeah, appreciating that you would just have it, but why wouldn't they? They're trying to unpick all of that. Mm. So they've, they've found that quite interesting and, and it's quite nice to find from their inside out, you know, what's their perspective? What do they think? Do they understand what, why Jehovah's Witness is not going to have a blood transfusion and how in the film he, he was forced to have this blood transfusion. He just followed the judge, you know, all the way through the film, trying to find out why she did it. Why, although she visited him in hospital and he said he didn't want a blood transfusion because of his religion, he did have that blood transfusion. And he started to get better. Was it the right decision? And so you can have this really nice discussion in class about it. Yeah, that's a whole, it's a whole conversation which we're not going to have here. No, no, <laughs> no. I was just touching on that today. Okay. So knowing my students from the inside out, they might have specific learning difficulties, might have special needs, they might be dyslexic, and it could be 
that, you know, that have difficulty reading that information because the words are moving around the page. You might have a selective mute. They're not going to talk, but you just have to keep chipping away and get the odd word out of them and maybe speak to them individually as you go around the class. They might be hearing impaired. You've got to enunciate those words really clearly. They might be, they might have English as second language. And as you know, we've got many Nepalese, haven't we, in in the local area because we're very close to the the home of the British Army in Aldershot. But what you need as a teacher is um, emotional intelligence, so the ability to perceive, control, and evaluate emotions. And so you come in, you can see those students that may be different today, and why is that? Um, and then you can then work with that and help them, and, and you know, help them then calm them down, and then be able to start learning the information that you're going to deliver. I think that emotional part is it's a lot harder than people realize. I think mm. it is because not everyone can read everyone's emotions. So mm. there's a whole thing of not everyone can read those. Mm. Um, but then you have, you can do it on a good day. Mm. But if your home life has been very hectic this morning, because your daughter has suddenly gone, I'm, I'm cooking today and I need my ingredients. You know, that's fine. I've got a load of stuff. There's a mini Tesco express around the corner. And then she says, I need filo pastry. And you're going, <laughs> so that's, that's not so going to be in the local Tesco. Mm. And you've given me 20 minutes from when I have to leave. So you have a really hectic morning. You mm. get to work and that child walks in. And if you're behind you, you're caught up in your own life. Mm. You're then going to miss. And you can't, you can't control that. Mm. You can't even do anything because literally you, you had this morning planned and your child partner your pet throws up, your pet does something else. It completely ruins your morning, but you, you then got to somehow go in and get in the right place to work with your student, which is really mm. hard. Mm. It's called the professional cloak, isn't it? You put your professional cloak as you go in the room and uh, you have to just shut it out, don't you? Whatever it is. I remember seeing on um, social media, I think it was last year, it was a video camera in a, thing in a school in America where this teacher mm. just walked to the door and you went, took a couple of breaths, put a smile on, and then mm. walked in the door. And you're mm. like, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot. It wasn't just put a smile on. He obviously psychologically sort of went, let it all go. Mm. What's important? Yeah. And that was really quite, you do it. Teachers have an amazing professional cloak. Put it on and walk in. Fascinating. I had something quite scary one afternoon at the end of the lesson. And I had to send the girl up to see the nurses and um, went in the office, had a quick chat to the teachers in the office and then went back in, put on the professional cloak at the door. And there was a girl in the room who, who was, um, oh, she said she was going to lose her house soon or something and be sent away somewhere. And nobody noticed, nobody noticed that I just de- dealt with something quite horrific. And she looked round at me. She was sitting quite close to me. She said, Susie, what's the matter? Nobody else even noticed. And that person that was going through quite a lot of trauma looked round at me. She said, there's something not right, is there? I recognised it. It was quite strange. Yeah. Yeah. Normally they don't notice. I think yeah. sometimes people who know you well mm. will know when you're not firing on all cylinders. Yeah. When you're holding yeah. back. Yeah. And you can walk in and go, morning, everyone. Mm. And yeah. they just know 
Something you only gave right. 98% there, Susie. That's yeah. not normal Susie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, what's wrong, Susie? You, you, they, you, it is that relationship. And that's the thing mm. is if you have that great, especially when they're older, especially mm. when you're heading into secondary and sixth form and beyond, you are multiple adults in that room. Mm. And you do recognize each other. And that relationship is a two-way thing. Because mm. in the same way you're finding out about them, you've got to yeah. share your own to find out as well. Yeah. And they will learn and they will know you. Yeah. They know you well. They know you well by then. In fact, they start talking like you. And that's what you do. <laughs> they put all these stupid phrases in their sentences. And you get these clones of Susie I'm just in your glasses. Out, is a room full of Susie's a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> I don't think it's a good thing. I don't think it's bad. <laughs> very yeah. entertaining. Yeah. So, I mean, it's important to have empathy, compassion, you know. And an ability to think for yourself in another person's shoes, understand what it's going to be like, um, because you're going to have students that are experiencing difficulties at home or they might be looked after children. And so that's really important to know those students from the inside out so that then you can start working with them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to actually turn the page and see the operation pieces. I'm looking forward to seeing how good Susie is. Oh, I don't know. Out. I can't even see. So we've got for? the Adam's apple here. Adam's so we've got the Adam's apple. Oh, I can't get any of them out. Oh, here we go. We've got the Adam's apple, a broken heart, a wrenched ankle, butterflies in the stomach, spare ribs, water on the knee, a funny bow, Charlie the horse, writer's cramp, ankle bone connected to the knee bone, a wishbone. Brain freeze. Do you know what? I just get brain freeze all the time. Um, and the bread basket. I still don't understand the bread basket or the horse. Oh, I, well, we'll find out I, in a minute. I'm looking at the thing going, yeah, broken heart, yeah, butterflies in the stomach. I'm going, and the horse. I just, it kind of makes no sense to me, those two. I think I'm going to have to turn it upside down, Dale, because I can't actually see where the apple is. Here we go. Adam's apple. See if I can get it out. Wait a minute. Oh. <sighs> I just can't get it out. Hang on. There Yay. we go. Yes. Once she got hold of it, it was out without a buzz. Brilliant. So Adam's apple. Oh, this Adam's apple. It reminded me about some students that we have at college that are transitioning. So when someone's realised they might be a trans or non-binary, they'll often go through a process called a transition or transitioning and it's really important to use your empathy we just spoke about empathy earlier yeah. walking in someone else's shoes listen to them um don't try to make assumptions be willing to learn about you know um that person you might receive some information um or you might do your own research be an advocate support them in the wider context. It could be that you're going to support them for work experience because they might have documentation such as a birth certificate might be in one name, but they call themselves something else. And until they change their name by DPOL, they're still going to have all that information not quite matching up there. So I was reading in a news story that legally cannot change gender mm. till 18 and the various mm. other things. So there's always legal things basically saying you don't have to do anything in reality. Mm. Mm. But that personally for me completely contradicts the moral side of things. So with the whole situation about um, gender identity, all those sorts of things, it's 
wherever you are in the country, you've got to basically use your best judgment. And I would say, because there's so many things which we won't go into. It's a huge, very complicated topic. But it, it would be something that talk with other professionals in the school. It should be talk senior leadership. What what is the thing? What what is the decision? What are you going to do? And depending on the situation, and we talk for the podcast, we're going details. But there can be a lot more implications than people realise, and a lot more um, areas where things can have an impact than people realise. So it, it can, it's a lot more complicated than people realise. But it is about, as always with teaching, doing what's right for that person. Yes, and, and use whatever name or pronoun or title that they want you to use. You know, um, it's important for them to, to be taken seriously. They might ask for some some support. Um, they might decide whether they want to tell everybody uh, or when they're going to tell everyone. And we've got special toilets at college, um, gender-neutral toilets, so they can use those. Um, and they're, they're becoming a lot more common around schools around the country. Yeah, yeah. And, and you don't need any documentation to prove that they're trans, but, you know, they might have some bullying that you've got to deal with just zero tolerance on the bullying to be honest um and just just help them and there are people you know at college that might be going through that process so just to help them yeah and, and support it, them really and it's about educating as many people as possible mm. um and i think we've discussed on the podcast before with ali knowles about finding your tribe and we've touched on um Thing that we just touched on through Joe Grace as well and things like that. And it is, um, it's educating everyone and understanding people's points of view, which can be a very generational thing and things like that. Um, but yeah, it's a complicated issue. And I think Joe Grace summed it up as the older generation often thinks about, well, how does it impact me? Yes. Whereas the younger generation are like, Oh, that's your thing going on. Yeah, just go for it. With it. Yeah. Which I'm trying to adapt because, yeah, in reality, if someone says I'm now a man or someone says I'm now a girl, it's like, what's that impact on me? I have to call them something slightly different. Mm. That's the impact on me. Mm. So why, why bother? Mm. It's like giving someone's got a new nickname. Mm. It, it doesn't mean, for me, from my point of view, it doesn't mean anything. But mm. for them, it means a lot. It does. It's very important. And to get the names right, the yes. pronouns. Yeah. So, Dale, I'm going to move on to the bread basket. Okay. So here, oops, hang on. Oh, I'm not that good at this, Dale. We could be here a long time. There we go. Oh, I've got it out. We've once, got it out. Once she gets hold of it, she gets out yeah. very smoothly. You know those games you had at fun fairs with the wire? Yes. I used to love them. I used to win all the prizes at those. You just have to have a steady hand, don't you? So what That's is a... the bread basket in operation? Because it makes no sense. It's just below the tummy. Yes, it's here. And uh, the bread basket makes no sense to me, but anyway. It's supposed to look like a slice of bread. Um, it says it's one of the most difficult pieces to remove with a small notch taken out of the top for grip. There we go. So with the bread basket, I thought I might talk about eating breakfast because our students don't. And um, five out of 20 of students in my class will have eaten breakfast. And the reason why it's good to eat breakfast is because it enhances memory and attention. 
there have been some um, research on this and they actually split some students into three groups, breakfast, Cheerios or Shreddies, no breakfast or glucose energy drinks carried out, of, out over four days. And they took part in memory tests and students showed a natural decline in cognitive performance throughout the morning. The decline was reduced by more than half when students had had breakfast. And so breakfast, with complex carbohydrates, not only helps students stay more alert, but also have improved memory throughout the day. But what I notice is that those students that haven't eaten breakfast, they come in and they can't concentrate. No. And then if you've got a lesson, you know, that's finishing at quarter past 12, they're absolutely useless. I do find I see I, lots of youngsters walking along with cans of Monster. Oh, they're dreadful. And in reality, I look at that and I go, actually, that's just horrible. I go, actually, that's probably in terms of caffeine, not much that different to a, a large latte from Costa. Yeah, yeah, so, and in theory, sugars, it might be low sugar, but lattes have still lots of fat in. So I'm going, okay, but it's like a young person's coffee, it seems. And they wake up and I know we've had somebody, we had an office done, somebody said they literally have 10 cans of Monster a day. That's their meals. And it gives you sugar, it gives you calories, and it gives you caffeine, which will wake you up. But it's so not good for you. So, but I don't know why people do it. I don't know if it's a case of they could just get out of bed, open this can and walk along drinking, which means they could stay in bed long. I'd love to understand the reasons why. Because obviously, if they're drinking cans of Monster, it's not really a poverty thing. <laughs> they're going out and buying these cans so it's, it's whereas that's thing when we talk about poverty we're not eating we are generally talking about those who cannot afford to eat but this other area where they're having these drinks and you see them driving to work you'll see these young people just a, a pint of monster and um the only time i ever drink something like that is with vodka um which isn't very often these days um but drinking that in the morning oh i couldn't do that but Where's the logic come from? That's what I'd love to know. Where's the logic come from? Is it just a case of their life is too busy, they need as much sleep, get up as late as possible, and breakfast on the way? I don't know. Yeah, I went to a school once, actually, in London, and um, a parent was called in because uh, the, one of the girls said that she hadn't got any money for lunch, and she'd gone to school every day to get some lunch money. And her mum had actually sent her in with lunch, but she was addicted to Red Bull. And she'd used the money on the way home to buy Red Bull. And she totted up nearly 400 quid's worth of debt buying Red Bull every day. Wow. Mm. So they can, get, they can get addicted to these things. They just can't stop. But it's interesting because when we do nutrition and we say, you know, it, it's not good for you and they're looking at carbohydrates, fats and proteins, they start eating a better diet. And then they start concentrating better and they start going to the gym. So um, once we talk about all this sort of thing in nutrition, they all start eating better and then they concentrate better. And I try and encourage them not to drink all these um, monster drinks. Yeah. And, and they start drinking more water. Obviously, other energy drinks are available. Yes. But please yes. don't. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But it is, I, I remember... I remember what I used to do. Yeah, Red Bull is an evening thing. Occasionally, yeah. 
if I'm doing a very late night work, which is obviously the website work, I used to have a can of Red Bull, but it's mm. a small one. And it mm. used to just, I didn't get a buzz from it, but it just stopped me being tired. I used to go, what did I do before Red Bull? Then I remembered it was Pro Plus. <laughs> yeah, well, I've got, that's another story, Pro Plus, because my friend took those. And yeah, it really, really affected her. Yeah. She got the shakes and she said, Susie, I can't cope. She sat on the table one Sunday and she goes, oh, Susie, I can't go. I said, what's that? She says, I've been taking Pro Plus because I've got our exams and um, I've been up all night and I've been drinking coffee as well. Wow. And she just got the shakes and just went bang. And I had to help her get better. So, um, yeah, that's why I'm really sort of against all these, these energy drinks because I've seen my friends. I think yeah. occasionally... You plan everything, things will go wrong. Mm. Sometimes you need a little bit of a stimulus to help mm. you through a short period, but it should be once every couple of months type thing. Doing yeah. it more than that. Every day. Yeah. Something is not balanced in your life. Uh. Well, it's not saying it's easy to balance. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's sometimes you've got to make some tough decisions. You do. So if we can encourage them to have breakfast, that'd be really good. Um, they'll, you know, have better eating habits. If you're not eating breakfast, the men think, oh, I'm so hungry. Let's go and have a Red Bull. Let's go and have an energy drink. Let's go and have a Mars bar. And then you get this massive sugar rush and then it goes down again. So, yes, it does give you energy, but the energy is quick. You need it slow release by eating, you know, um, whole grain breakfast, um, brown bread, whatever it is, wholemeal bread. And you're going to have um, better mental health, really, if you eat breakfast every day, eat properly. Stop skipping breakfast. That would be absolutely brilliant. And there was a study um, at the Medeski Academy in Reading where they gave the students blueberries and they found out that it improved their concentration. It's, it's true. Yeah, I saw the programme, you know, on, on the old telly box. The old telly box. Yeah, so I saw that. And the reasons why my students might not eat breakfast, um, because... The parents might have lost their jobs in COVID, so they haven't got yep. any money to buy the food. Um, they might be taking their siblings to school because the parents have got yep. jobs. Um, their father might be on exercise with the army, so they're helping running the, ho the house. The money might be tight. Um, they might be living in a deprived area. And even though there are food banks such as the Grub Hub, which opened recently, they might be signposted to them, but they might be embarrassed about going there, you know. Yeah. Um, they might not have time to go to the food bank if it's only open between 10 and 4 and they're at college. So if they can find the food bank and they get some food, um, food at the food bank's really good, you know. They have Waitrose chicken fillets in there and M&S Swiss chocolate um, because I actually visited one um, a couple of months ago in Aldershot, the new one, the Grub Hub, we had a meeting upstairs for Blooming Marvellous. And um, I said, oh, can I just have a quick viewing, please, just to see what's on the menu? And it was really nice food in there. It is. And it so if, if you can encourage the students to go there, the ones that have got low income in the family, then and they get the food, they really appreciate it. It is. It is it's, it's not cheap food in their food, but it is nutritionally good food mm. so it is it is a good thing but i think yeah i think it's either money or you either money poor or time poor yeah is what i think leads to those energy drinks i need something 
yeah. this is quick. And that's also when you think you get the fast food breakfast as well, which yes. is another whole don't do. Yeah, well, McDonald's is quite close to college, isn't it? Yes. So I think a bit of that goes on. Um, what I've noticed um, is that when I spoke to John Stein, that's Rick Stein's brother, he, was, um, he said that in the war they used to give fish oil to children because it uh, improves their attention. And, um, and so they used to give in the war cod liver oil supplements. Um, and there are benefits to the brain with the fatty acids in fish, particularly in children with behavioural and learning difficulties. Um, so it's good to eat, what is it, two or three portions of oily fish a week. So now, that really helps concentration. There was a big push, I think it was the 90s, for mm. the omega-3 fish oils. That's it, yeah. So, yeah, so the omega-3, I think it was, they'd identified it because mm. I'm not a fish fan. Mm. I could go a couple of months without eating it and be quite happy. Mm. Um, but, yeah, the omega-3, I remember there's a big push on that, and that's one of the ones they did all the research said that actually that's a good one to help that um, brain function. Brain function. Mm. Yeah. So I'm on to my next piece, Dale. Hey. This is the broken heart. Hang on. Wait a minute. Oh, it's funny how there's little hook things in here so that you can get, oops, so that you can get them out. It's buzzing lots. It is buzzing a lot. I'm just going to bring a, it. Quite a complicated shape to get hold of. Oh, almost. I dropped it. Hang on. Oh, hello. There we go. Oh, I've just there we go. I've got it out there, Dale. <laughs> I'm so glad she's not asking me to do this. <laughs> yes. So a broken broken heart, heart shaped with a crack through it on the right side of the chest. The phrase broken heart refers to the emotional feeling in which someone's very sad for any reason, such a person's breakup with their romantic partner. So students might have a broken heart, they might be homeless. I remember a girl saying to me, Susie, I'm going to be homeless tonight. I've got nowhere to live. I've broken up with my boyfriend. I'm going to go and live in the um, Premier Inn down in Farnborough for a couple of nights. So they might be hungry. They haven't got very much support. Um, they might have some sort of injuries there. That's why they've left their boyfriend or whatever. And they, they've got very little money. And I remember when she, this girl said to me, Susie, I'm going to live in the... Um, Premier in tonight. I said, Oh, wait a minute. I just go in my cupboard and in there I gave her a packet of crisps, not very good nutrition. I had a tin of sardines. Hello, I don't know why I had those on my desk. Um, a couple of apples, and I gave her some porridge. I said, There you go, you've got at least you've got some breakfast. Um, and she said, Oh, thank you very much. So then she came in the next day, and after a few days, then she did find somewhere to live. Um and so, yeah, that's really important to sign poster to the nurses who have the access funds and see if they can find somewhere for her to live. Um, if someone is having difficulty, um, you might notice that they're wearing the same clothes day after day after day. Um, you might see, uh, you might hear that they're having difficulties getting in touch with their parents because they've been booted out of home. Um, you might notice that they're not completing their homework. Um, you might even hear them talking about, I don't want to go to home, go home. And my students are pretty vocal, actually. They do like to tell the whole world about what's going on. They might also be late, fashionably late. 
Um, they might have lots of medical appointments. They might be even hoarding food, you know, um, in some way. But simply, one of my ladies in my team, she said, this girl just came in with a couple of bags, massive bags full of clothes and said, well, I've got nowhere to live tonight. And she said, you know, here's my possessions and I'll have to go and stay with a friend and do a bit of sofa surfing. It's, it's, it's phenomenal because you're talking about 16, 17, 18-year-olds. Mm. But I've seen my daughters are in secondary school and you do see when, you, when I, my, my daughters talk about friends or children in their classes, there can be a very big void between the parents who might be a very traditional, expect things a certain way, and their child who doesn't necessarily fit into that traditional stereotype and how that plays out. And generally it's, 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 generally it's often negative in some way. Hopefully it gets resolved, but sometimes it can start in that secondary school as that, as that person is becoming a teenager and becoming the adult and being who they want to be. And it's a hard time because you do make mistakes. You don't get it right first time as a teenager. You're working out, what, am I an adult? Am I? There's lots of things going on. Um, and parents are either struggling with their own lives in many different ways or there are various things going on and it is it can start quite early on in secondary school that there is a big separation between the child and the parent lack of communication uh, lack of understanding um and just lack of empathy with the big thing I, I i often hear about um and yeah it can go downhill quite quickly and that emotional hurt can start quite early on and it's it can can be someone they love it, or think they love or like or not like or anything like that it can be uh incidents that go on that have an a emotional impact for a couple of weeks um and it, yeah we can be parents or other things um and i did a podcast with alison knowles on grief and when you think of grief you think of a lost one but yeah. you also think of if a child has moved away from their friends to another area, from almost like one air, one side of your catchment to the other, they've lost their whole life. They've lost being able to hang around with their friends, and that has an emotional impact. So, yeah, the emotional baggage is a very, very big thing. Yeah, and it's, I mean, as a teacher, it's, it's important to be flexible and compassionate, um, maybe have a private meeting with that student at the end of the lesson or, or pass it up the lines, tell the tutor that they need to sort some bits and pieces out. Um, I don't know, respect the boundaries, um, especially when you're dealing with homelessness. I think that's really important. And, and to try and help them, it could be that you have to um, signpost them up to the counsellors, for example. We've got drop-in sessions. They can go and have a chat with someone if they want to, have a chat to the tutor. But I suppose when, you, when you're off in that situation, you can't, they still got to be in charge and they got to make their own decisions. Yeah. You can offer things, but yeah. you can't say, this is what you're going to do. Yeah. It's all got to be offering. Yeah, it's just advice. And then they'll take that on board and make their own decisions. That's really important. Oh, my goodness. The next one is a wrenched ankle. She's going to get it in one this time, not a buzz. The alternative to a sprained ankle. Oh, this will be the wrench, won't it, Dale? Here we go. Wait a second. 
I got it out, no buzzes. That is impressive. Hang on. Just be clear, I am sitting here watching her play Operation. She doesn't share. There we go. Not a buzz. No buzz, boy. That was excellent. So someone might, you know, have a rectangle. They might return to college wearing cars. They've got to use their crutches and the lifts so that you need to, they need to know where the lifts are. Take care of their fractured leg. If active, take a break while the bone is healing. Got to attend their appointment so they're going to be missing college and maybe doing a bit of physiotherapy. And so, yeah, occasionally you might get someone who's got a twisted ankle, um, but they have to go off um, and have their follow-up appointments. So it's important that you then make sure that they know what we've done in the lessons and they can catch up in the time. And when you get that wrenched ankle, it might be, again, especially like my daughter's school, they've got one of their blocks, I think is four floors. Oh, right. So if you've got a uh, leg in plaster or even crutches, you might just need a little bit more time getting to that next lesson. Might yes. help if they get to go for a couple of minutes early. They at least get up three floors before they, everyone, all the other children come along. We used to see so many boys at the oratory that had had, um, you know, on the rugby pitch, they were quite often break their collarbone, break their ankle, whatever. There was always someone yeah. that was in a cast at school because, uh, because of the game. Um, I'm just looking now for my butterflies in the stomach. A large butterfly in the middle of the torso. It came. Its name comes from the feeling in the stomach when feeling nervous, excited, or afraid. Here we go, Dale. I can feel this one coming right on. Hang on, here we go. It's out. She is no too good. No buzzes. I just got to check the battery's still in. Yeah, oh, there we go. I'm getting better at it as we go along. So butterflies in the stomach. This could be someone with anxiety. Um, so what is it that sets off that anxiety for them to actually understand what's causing that anxiety, to, to teach about anxiety, coping strategies, how to recognise it, find that safe place, give them a toolbox of ideas of what yeah. they can follow, um, have a calming activity. And what I have in my classroom is sequin cushions. Actually, I meant to bring that for you this morning, but I did bring the kitchen sink and forgot to bring the stuff out the bathroom. Um, so we've got sequin cushions. They stroke those and they even leave me messages in. Hello, Susie. Thank you. And they walk out the door and leave the cushion on the desk. And if you have no idea what Susie means by sequin cushions, you see the most places where you can basically the sequins flip over, don't they? So yeah. one colour on one side, the other colour. Yeah. And I generally write poo on my daughter's cushions in their room. Quite a lot of childish <laughs> fun. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> we, we also have stress balls and we get, and, and, and also crabs and fish and all these different things like that, whatever you can get in the local shops um, and foam balls. And I line them all up at the front of the class. So the officer inspector comes in in September and they walk in and they immediately go to the front and go and get their crab or their squeezy ball. And the woman's going, what's going on, Susie? And I'm going, uh, they just get the stress balls. They'll be fine. Don't worry. Um, COVID friendly because got the wipes by the door and they'll wipe them down after they're finished. And they find that really useful. At one of my classes this year, there was a lot of students with anxiety. And as they came in, they would squeeze these stress balls and they started to feel better. They could take control over what they were doing. They could say, right, I can handle this now. I know what I'm doing. I'm calm and I can get on with it and teach them how to solve those problems about what they're anxious about um, and just enable them to be able to do their work and get on with it in a calm, relaxed atmosphere. Mm. 
Yeah, that butterflies in the stomach has a huge. It's just huge. It can't be um, underrated, and I think the emo- that links to the emotional as well. Oh yes, of course. Because especially as you've got that things going on at home, and they're just in there worrying about. So nothing might have happened yet, but they've got anxiety. They're worrying. Mm-hmm. They've got things coming up outside of school. Lots of things cause that anxiety. So we can do some problem solving with them. What is the problem? What three things can I do to manage it? Could it be that I've got to go outside? Could it be I've got to grab that stress ball? What will happen if I do each of these things? Uh, Which way of managing is the best for me? What's going to work for me? And could I actually do something differently next time? Which is, we haven't actually... Every time Susie comes to the podcast, she brings Percy Pigs or I buy Percy Pigs. And now they're open. They have been cracked. There we go. Today we've got Percy Pigs and Pals. Uh, so we've got white, pink and brown ones. <laughs> Dale has just taken a pink one. I've got one. to have my Percy Pig. So sadly, this, pod, this podcast isn't sponsored by Marks and Spencers and Percy Pigs. But if, if Marks and Spencers, you are listening, would like to send us Percy Pigs every week, that would be lovely. But probably won't happen. Mm. So what have we got next? Spare ribs. Two sets of ribs are fused together as one piece. Spare ribs are cut out of meat or a dish prepared from that cut. Just going to turn the old operation game round so that I can get to them. Oh, hello. Oh, oh, these are quite tricky to get out, but I've got them out now. I'll put them back. I was had two buzzes. That was good. Yeah. So I'm going to call her Emma. Emma had brittle bones and... She had pins in her bones. In a, she, she was in a wheelchair. She could only use one hand. I mean, she used to go rowing. It was absolutely amazing. So it's important to realise that fractures can be caused by normal behaviour, such as shutting the door. So not to shut the door. And we would always let her come in either first in the class and then she'd sit by the door in her wheelchair or last in the class. I think she used to always come in first. Um, they might spend a lot of time in hospital because they're having operations, but then they've got to catch up with their work. Um, it could be that we need special seating for her, so consult with the occupational therapist. It could be that handwriting would be slow and poorly formed, um, so you might have to give special handouts for them. I don't remember this girl ever actually writing. I think she had a specific keyboard that helped her because if she used a different keyboard it might be too stiff and she might crack some bones in her fingers or whatever wow so um she has a special computer keyboard swimming's good but obviously not other forms of pe and they might be mobile on crutches she was actually in a wheelchair so it's really important for her not to be knocked or bumped and if she wanted to go to the toilet we'd let her out in the lesson because she's less people she's going to come across yeah i think with this spare rosie although we're talking about that girl with the brittle bones is is it could be anyone with any physical condition. Mm, mm. And if someone is going off to hospital, what, I, what I'm hoping schools are doing after COVID and my daughter's school still do this, is the teachers have changed a lot of their planning to using Google Classroom mm. or whatever. So the planning is there. So if you mm. can't make the lesson, mm. the work is there. Yep. Which is, so if you are off in hospital that day, you, kind of, you, can, can, you have the option to catch up. You don't have to go in the next day. You can have that evening and things like that, which I think is really good. It's, um, and I like the fact if, if schools can keep doing this, it means 
where children are having to miss school due to hospital, due to various things. And you get into lots of things of transport being an issue if you're in a wheelchair and things like mm. that. It reduces the impact. Mm. It's good. My next one, Dale, is water on the knee. A pail of water on the knee, the term water on the knee is colloquial and refers to fluid accumulation around the knee joint. I'm hoping I can get this one out with no buzzers. Check out the scene there, boy. <laughs> Got it out. Out in one. Out in one. I, no I, problem. No I buzzing. I personally now reckon Susie spent the whole of last night playing Operation. <laughs> I was at Aqua Aerobics last she night, was, boy. She's an Operation hustler. She went loads yeah. of buzz in the first two, lulled us into false insecurity. She didn't know what she was doing. She didn't get the doctor for nothing. <laughs> So I've got water on her knee, and this reminds me of a girl. I'll call her Wendy for now. And her kneecap used to slip, and we she had to keep putting it back again. Um, and only takes about six weeks to heal, and then that kneecap dislocates. It comes out of its groove, and and all the supporting tissues can be stretched or torn. That poor student's going to be in a lot of pain. Um, and so they might have a popping sensation. They might have severe knee pain. They might be unable to work, walk and sometimes they have to go for an operation. They're going to be off for, you know, a few weeks. And, and so they're going to have that swelling in the knee. And you've got to, with that Google Classroom, they can, you know, go back and look at the work and do the work while they're recovering at home, convalescing, yeah. which is really, really good. And it means, again, they're not feeling, because they can get involved in the work and they can mm. use uh, social media to ask their friends, I'm struggling with it or anything like that, or how do you do this? Because the kids, the kids do sit there. You always see it. Like, we got cooking. You don't got the recipe, and it gets around all that. Missed the homework. Mm. So it means that again, by having that schoolwork available, and then being able to use social media is again, it helps them feel more included rather than isolated, sitting at home, mm. recovering. Mm-hmm. My next one is the funny bone. I think it's this one here. Hang on, I'm just going to move it round. the others back here we go the funny bone a cartoon style bone reference to the colloquial term of the distal portion of the ulnar nerve which is vulnerable to an injury at the elbow here we go removed no buzzing she went in Check did a it. twist picked it up yeah professional you always get a hilarious student don't you in class um they <laughs> i don't I've had these ones in the past. They just let out massive burps in the in the class and just just you know let them off and carrying on chatting to the girls and they'll be telling jokes um, and just just really really funny. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it generally yeah, there's many, many reasons they do that. One of them is that whole distraction thing. That's and they're struggling right. Yes, with the work. yes, yes. <laughs> For me. I was bored, <laughs> which sounds really wrong. But no, no, no. Students as I'm learning more about myself as an adult and various things, I understand why I was bored. It, the lessons didn't occupy my entire brain. And I'm not sure there could have been huge amounts of teacher could do at that point. So, yeah, so I, might, so I had to make the lessons more fun. So I had fun. Good. My teachers might not have been nice for the teachers. I'm sorry, my teachers. Um, but yes, there's many reasons, and it could be yeah they're struggling, and if they make people laugh, it distracts them from doing the work, and if they get is that whole distraction technique, 
but sometimes it is, they're finding it very boring. I bet you no one does that in Susie's lessons. Um, but it is sometimes the lessons are really dry and boring and you're just sitting there going, I just want a bit of fun. I want someone to laugh and just break. It's like that ice breaking thing. Obviously burping is not an icebreaker. Yeah. Collected in a polite society, but in a classroom with a load of teenagers, any bodily function is very entertaining. Mm. I remember saying to this boy, I was teaching him and I said, um, what's the esophagus? And he went, I know you're trying to trick me. It's, it's that thing that they buried the Egyptians in, isn't it? <laughs> so, you know, you get these things and it just makes you laugh, doesn't it? It does. Um, we were talking about um, the back and if you get sciatica and you can become incompetent, incontinent, and this girl goes, oh, my back, it really hurts. I don't want to become incompetent. Rather than in continent, there's a few you know, words and then which just are words similar. Are so similar, and it just makes you laugh. Yes, my favourite one is uh, John, who works here. His wife, they got married, and she meant to say, "Shall we consummate the marriage?" I don't know how that ended up in a conversation saying that phrase, but instead she went, "Shall we cremate the marriage?" <laughs> <laughs> Slight slip. Yes. Very different meaning. Yes. So, uh, but yeah, no, I think the funny bone, that's the thing. I think we've got to realise that as, as teachers, we are ploughing through a national curriculum, working towards a test, working towards a qualification, that this 12-year-old, this 8-year-old, this 4-year-old, this whatever age person doesn't really understand the importance of or the reason. Mm. And you've got to plough through it because the government's telling you to. Yeah. And... It can be quite boring, especially when you've got SATs coming up and you've got this deadline of getting through this content. Is I personally think the funny is a bit, it breaks attention. It does. And they'll remember it if they've laughed. I mean, they laugh so many times when I do the um, reproductive system out of balloons. They always remember that. Yes. No problem. It's easy. You I know, every podcast listener who <laughs> listens to that episode remembers you making a podcast. The, uh, Digestive system, system out of balloons. Yeah, so anything out of balloons, it always makes them laugh. And then they remember it, which is really good. Yeah. Uh, my next one, Dale, is Charlie Horse, a small horse that rests near the hip joint. A Charlie Horse is a sudden spasm in the leg or foot that usually can be cured by mass massaging or stretching. It also looks like a rocking horse. Now okay. I know what this horse can. I'm literally looking at these pieces going, why is there a horse in the pants? And now I know it's to do with basically. Oh, oh, th this horse is difficult to get out here, Dale. Oh, it's out. Oh, it's out. There we go. The horse is out. It's it's bolted. There we go. So I did have a girl that used to have uh, hip joints would come out of their sockets and used to just lie down and say, oh, I'm just on the floor. Could you call the nurse or my boyfriend? Because they've got to put them back in again. Um, and I remember taking this. Years ago, another student, when I first started to A&E during the lesson and got back and it was, uh, it was a three-hour lesson, three lesson, actually. It was a double lesson. I got back and they'd all legged it. So the moral to that story is never be a first aider and, <laughs> and take the student out to hospital Could you get back and they'll all be gone. <laughs> I said, I won't be long. Um, and they'd gone. They'd legged it. Yeah, that's the, uh, I was literally, what's Charlie Osborne? I suppose that is, yeah, hip joints, but it's also the whole cramp thing. 
Yes. And you've got to remember, especially when you're sitting in a chair for quite a while, that leg falls asleep. You might have the numbness or mm. um, fuzzy leg, as my daughter called it when she was younger. Quite a good description. Mm. Um, but it is, I generally, I take cramps and I will stand up. Now I'm an adult, I will know that even if mm. I'm supposed to be sitting, I would kind of stand up and, and stretch at the back of the room. Mm. I wouldn't have done that as a child. Yeah. So sometimes it's, you've got to be aware of it. And again, it's not every child, but you've got to sit there and go, actually, if we are sitting here for a double lesson, mm. was it how long was that lesson? That was three hours at that time. So um, yeah, not good, she, it's not good to be sitting down for three hours. Yeah, well, you'd have to get them to have a break and walk out and come back again. Um, but maybe I ought to have got someone to cover the class. <laughs> not so bad. It was a college. I'm not sure. Yeah. It's not like a bunch of five-year-olds running. Yeah, it was quite a few years ago now, probably about 20 years ago that happened. Yeah. Oh. My next one is writer's cramp. A pencil in the forearm. A writer's cramp is soreness in the wrist that usually can be cured by resting it. So I was thinking about writer's cramp and dysgraphia. Yeah. And that, you know, people find difficulties to, re- to write. And, and my son, um, his writing looks like a spider's crawled over the page. Um, and so he uses a computer for typing. And you could use text help, read and write for exams. Well, you could also use a scanning pen, you know, to read stuff. Yeah. Um, and some students might even have a reader and a scribe um, in their exams too if they're, you know, they, they have difficulty reading and, and writing. It's interesting is writer's cramp because um, I've got two nephews who have both have dysgraphia. They talked about yeah. hypermobility. I went, really? what's that? And it's when apparently you can just do that. Yeah, yeah, bend your joints back. Oh, dear. And I can. Oh, oh I remember. Just demonstrating I can just it. look at not good viewing. No, no, that is horrible. And I used to hate writing, and my writing yeah. was described as a spider crawling across the page. Yeah. And it was horrible. And as it is, I looked at my finger and went, oh, so it shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. My, my, um, my, my final knuckle on my finger is probably bending backwards about, what's that, 20, 30 degrees? Yeah. And that's how I used to hold. Oh, you probably just type now, don't you? you I've, don't I've typed much. as much as possible. As soon as I could type, it was out of school. Into, it was out, after education. I just typed every. But I, my fingers used to get, and so I used to do the bare minimum movement. So it did literally just look like pretend writing on a page, mm. but I could read it. Mm. But it's now going, oh, so my finger shouldn't do that. And I can't get angry at it going, well, a teacher should have noticed mm. because. As we're discussing this podcast, you need to notice five million things every second. Yeah, and I noticed that I haven't actually taken that funny bone out. Always Sorry, the writer's pencil. got the pencil, not the funny bone, the pencil. But it is quite tricky getting that pencil out, actually. There's a lot more to writing. There we go. Um, Done it. The reason you, every, every child has to write is so they can write in exams. That's, the reason, that's generally the reason we're up to, I personally believe now, is you only have to write to write in exams. Because once you're out of here, most people type. Or they, they, they use text to speech or do various other things they use on the internet. We're using, no one handwrites a dissertation. Well, you could voice type it, couldn't you? In, so, um, this whole writing thing words, is just four exams in my head. Mm-hmm. That's all we're down to. And this whole belief of writing helps memory, which is, I think is a personal load of rubbish because we haven't done testing the other, we haven't got any evidence here completely the other way. It's just, we have lots of evidence for, but no, no one's collected any evidence again. And Susie is now having her first Percy pig. Being a writer's cramp is, again, I would personally say, why are children writing? Is there a purpose? I never got the whole point of copy this down off the board and then the teacher would write it out and you'd write it. It's like, 
nowadays, can you not just take it in Google Classroom and I have it? Mm. And can we not use tools like the highlighting tool in Google Docs so I can highlight bits for me which are important? Oh, yeah, and then save the highlights. Yes, and things like that. Make it useful. Don't just do writing for the sake of writing. We did that in the 90s because we didn't have much other choice. Mm. But if we don't have to write, then don't, do, then don't write. There are certain things like write your, your English and things like that and structure. There's loads of that, yes, but even structure, you can do that in copying, pasting and rearranging sentences. It's so much quicker and easier and less frustrating doing it in a word on computer or anything like that. But, yeah, as you can tell, I, as mostly You're a computer I, hate, geek. I hate handwriting. It's just, mm. but if it works for you, it works for you. That's one thing I'll always say. If it does work for you, and um, I work in the education industry, and I go to all these meetings with everyone with piles of paper, and I'm there with my iPad, mm. which I can say. It, if it works for you, it's fine, but it's just me. And um, we've done some um, podcasts with Ginny Bootman about using tech. We've got some mm. more coming, which will be good fun. Mm, good. Well, that'd be really useful. My next one is the ankle bone connected to the knee bone, a rubber band that must be stretched between two pegs at the left ankle and knee. It's the only non-plastic piece in the game, the only card that requires the player to insert rather than remove something. The name taken from the African-American spiritual of Dem Bones. Do you remember the song? Dem Bones, Dem Bones, Dem. Yes, one. yes. There we go. I got it out on one there. So I suppose Dave. the elastic band is, is basically kind of being the hamstring, I, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Just putting the horse back there. Yeah, I got that out on one, Dale. So it could be that you might just, I twisted my ankle at college once. I was carrying an A1 board and I, I fell in a hole. <laughs> I didn't notice there was a hole there. And um, the nurse came down, she gave me some crutches. And then um, I remember I sat on one of those wheelie chairs and, wh and whizzed up and down the corridor on it because I like doing it. It's good fun, isn't it? And then the groundsman took me in their van to the station. Very kind that day. So it could be someone's got a sprained ankle, they've got to walk around crutches, um, and it's going to hurt. You're going to be in a lot of pain, but we've got, you know, nurses there to help you, which is really, really good. You've also okay. got some children who, I don't know what the technical term is, but it's like their hamstring is too short, and you see okay. children um, often on tiptoes. They walk oh. everywhere on tiptoes, and they basically have to have an operation. I don't know, I've just... I've where it basically it almost lengthens it, oh. lengthens the hamstring. It's basically it's too tall, whatever. But for some reason, and someone's probably just thinking, that's completely wrong, but roughly ish description. Right? So they often walk on tiptoes. They cannot walk on the, um, their heels. Oh, wow. So I've seen a couple of children do it, which is really quite fascinating, but obviously um, cause issues, and they generally have to have an operation. Mm. I, don't, I don't know what the impacts are, the benefits or so on, but it basically means they can stand normally. Mm. Oh, I don't know sweet. if there's pain when they walk out. I don't know. There's yeah. lots of random, interesting things you see in different children over time. So my next one is the wishbone. Similar to that of a chicken, lo located on the left-hand side of the chest, the term wishbone is colloquial for furcular, which is a bone that can be found in birds and other animals. Traditionally, a chicken's furcular may be used by two people for making competing wishes. So here's the wishbone. Oh, there we go. It's out. Get the students to make a wish. What's their vision for when they finish? Do they want to go to university? Do they want to go into employment? Do they want to do an apprenticeship? Is it realistic? So, you know, 
they say, I want to go to Oxford and Cambridge and they're not going to get A's and A stars. Um, you've got to help them. What are those steps to get there? Okay. And also if they are dyslexic or they have SPLD, they might have a um, disabled student's allowance. They might go and have um, an assessment for that and they might be given a free laptop computer, various bits of software to help them on their way. I think it's wishbone, the idea of where do you want to be, what do you want to get to, mm. I don't think is kind of discussed in schools enough. Yeah. Um, for me, and I suppose for some, but not everyone, if you tell me, if you want to get to here, here are the 10 things you have to get through, mm. I'll get through those 10 things. Yeah. If you tell me by doing these 10 things, it will help me get there. I might not understand why they will help me get there, but if you say this is the path you must take, I will go down that path and I will walk that way. And I think that, and my daughter's just coming up to her GCSEs, or she's in the middle of her GCSEs at the moment. And it's interesting when she talks about different people, that what they want to do, but the effort they're putting into school, it just doesn't add up. And mm-hmm. I think people, I think young children don't realise that those GCSEs, that thing they're doing at 16-year-olds, is going to impact the rest of their life. Yeah. And, I, and where schools are putting enough effort into help them achieve. I don't think enough is helping them understand and think about where do you want to be? I took my daughters to a careers evening in year eight. Mm. So they could actually sit there and I drummed it in how important is actually what you're doing in the next mm. four years of your mm. life mm. will decide if you can do that or not. Mm. Um, because you've got, you, you're going to create your own work ethic. You're going to create your own agency. You're going Mm. to do all these things and work out, I'm working towards that. Or are you just doing these things because someone tells you to and you don't really know the point? And then you'll get to suddenly at 18 and go, oh, I can't do that because, oh, I didn't do that. Well, no one told me. And it's hard for a child to be motivated at the age of 12, 13, 14 Mm. for something you're going to get in 10 years. That link, that connection isn't there. I think so. And, and, and I, you know, I always say to my students, what profession do you want to go in? A lot of mine want to be nurses. How are you going to get there? These are the grades you need. So I, I try to help them with that. But see, see it like a mountain. You, you know, your goal is to become a nurse and you've got those different stages, a bit like going up Everest. Yeah. You've got base camp one and, and that might be your GCSEs. Then you're going up further. That'll be your A-levels. But alongside, you've got to have the work experience to support that, you know, to make sure that that is exactly what you want to do. Some people might go into work experience and then, oh, my goodness, I really don't want to do this at all. So it's good to have some sort of volunteering or work experience along the way too. It is. And it is. It's that, what what do I want to be? What does it look like? And um, on the podcast of Ali Knowles ages ago was why we are the way we are. And often mm. as a child, you'll look at what your parents do. Mm. And you'll, you'll, you'll kind of be drawn towards those careers because it's what you know. But in reality, it could, you could do anything you want. It's your Sorry. interests. And it's helping them find out what they could do. My daughter's career evening, the, um, the lady there quite proudly said, we have all 1,400 careers in our system. I'm thinking, there's more than 1,400 careers. Mm. There is, an, I would say more or less infinite. Mm. And the thing I always remember um, 
is someone says, especially at primary school, we are preparing children for jobs that do not yet exist. exist. Yeah. So when I'm at primary school, I wasn't aiming to be a podcast person. Mm. I wasn't aiming to be a website designer. Mm. I wasn't aiming to do any of the stuff I currently do. Because in 1980 something, none of that really existed. Mm. Mm. So what skills could you have taught me to prepare? You wouldn't know. So there is that trying to be really open, which makes it really hard, but it is helping them want to see their dreams and their interests. And kind of you saying the whole podcast is taking that interest, taking their dreams and helping them see that actually, if you want to do that, this is going to help you. Mm. But that's one of the things I think is we're flying through curriculums to get these, these qualifications to make the country look good. Mm. But, are we helping them really, all the children preparing them for their future? Are we helping them setting them on a path? Mm. Or are we just focusing on getting qualifications for league tables and PISA? It's important. It's important for them to have that vision and, and to know where they want to go to yeah. and what they want to do with their life. I never wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be a all. teacher until very one day at my mum's school when I was helping out. And I watched this teacher. We just spent the entire lunchtime playing football, me versus mm. the school. I always had so much fun in this school. And um, she said, oh, your shoelace is untied. And so she went to tie it up. And she was tying it up. She went, why is it wet? Has it been raining? I remember mm. looking around going, don't see any puddles. And then she looked up and went, oh, let's take you to the nurses. <laughs> <laughs> and me being a 14-year-old boy went, yeah, I can't deal with that. Oh. And that and seeing the amount my mum worked as a teacher just put me mm. off being a teacher. I loved education. I loved mm. just being in the special school. I loved supporting and helping. Mm. I looked at the workload and went, no, can't do that. So off I went into the world of computing. Yeah. And brilliant. then circled back to education. There you go. Well, life takes you on funny journeys, doesn't it? it? Does. Interesting journeys, I think. Um, my next one, Dale. <laughs> is brain freeze. There's supposed to be an ice cream cone somewhere. I can't see an ice cream cone. Is the ice cream cone gone? I don't think there is one. That's a little cheeky. I might just go for this one. This. I'll try that one. Oh, hello. I'll go for that one. Well, I got that out. So the ice cream cone located in the brain, it refers to the experience of Brain freeze. I often have brain freeze. Um, you know, you're trying to think of the word and you can't quite get it. Uh, you might be a bit tired. You might have been up all night writing some PowerPoint or marking work. You get up in the morning, you think, oh, my goodness, I can't think of the word. And you're standing there and you're going, oh, it sounds like, you know, but yeah. you might have a student in your class who's got brain freeze because they've got processing difficulties. Yes. They might have visual processing difficulties, understanding those written symbols. It could be they've got a slower reading speed. Those students' brains might struggle to make sense of that visual input they receive from the PowerPoint. There might be confusing similar letters such as B and D or P and Q. Um, they might just have difficulty coping with that text and struggling to spell those homophones which are such as there, T-H-E-I-R, and T-H-E-R-E, and irregular words. And I've 
I see this a lot with, with my students that I know are dyslexic. Um, when the Ofsted inspector came in and we were given the wink, she's looking at literacy, and I asked the students to spell on their little mini whiteboards, esophagus, dyslexic student spelt it completely wrong. And I had to go around and say, it's O-E-S-O-Fagus. And then she understood it. And then she wrote it down in the Ofsted inspector's little book of knowledge there. So it's really important to keep copying off the board to a minimum. Um, I remember the teacher saying to me with my son when he was young, he finds difficulty copying off the board. I said, well, why don't you put it to the side of him and he can copy off that or just give him the sheet and then get him to write something about it. Um, strategies, reading, use assistive technology such as a scanning pen or voice activated software and screen readers. Um, it could be you might have mnemonic spelling strategies. Oh, hang on, wait a second. I just need to come back. So we now have a bit oh, of popcorn or crisps on the table? Yes. No, because at the bottom of my bag <laughs> is a scanning pen, I think. So you could use that scanning pen as assistive technology that's so going to help that student to be able to... Oh, here's one I prepared earlier. So if you don't know what a scanning pen is, a scanning pen is a pen that reads text. But what's really important about this device is it doesn't add any, I believe it doesn't have any intonations. So it reads the text as it is written, um, which is really important because these are allowed in exams. So what's nice about these is they can use them in the classroom, but they can also use them in exams, which means they, they can really start to rely on it rather than having it as something which only happens some of the time. I'm not going to be quiet. Oh, she's broken it now. <laughs> oh, here we go. There we go. Strategies. So that person could read the information on, um, you know, on exact paper or something like that. So I believe, I think these have a headphone socket on them, don't they? Yes, you could use a headphone socket too. So I think I, was, I, was, I was had a meeting with Jack. Such as a scanning pen. Activated. There we go. So I think I had, I had a little meeting with Jack from Scanning Pens, um, and it is these devices which are a very chunky pen, which you scan over the text. Um, but it reads the text in a very monotonal voice, so there's no um, – one of the reasons people can't read to you is they might put an emphasis on a certain tomato word, which makes you think the answer is tomato type mm. thing. So it gets rid of that. It can be read to them with no – hinting at what the answer might be or any important keywords, um, but they can have their headphones in. So it's not um, impacting other students mm. and they're really, really cool devices. Yeah. And you can use them in exams and they're, um, you know, it's been agreed by the JCQ regulations that you can use them, which is really, really good. Yep. You have access arrangements, you might give it a go. But what I noticed was that in January, my students um, sat their anatomy exam there was a few of them in the class that are dyslexic and they didn't have a scanning pen. And um, they said that they couldn't read the word esophagus. And there was also cirrhosis, like cirrhosis of the liver. They couldn't read that either. And so I encouraged them to try a scanning pen and I would have mine in class. I said, give this a go. And so they might like to use that in the future to help them. Yeah. Mm. We might have auditing, auditory processing difficulties. 
And I think of this as when I was young, I used to like watching John Craven's news round. Do you remember that with old John Craven? But then mum would always make us listen to BBC News, I don't know, six o'clock, seven o'clock, whatever it was. And I used to sit there, used to think, what on earth are they going on about? You know, they would use all these long words. And I just found that that was harder to understand than John Craven. So people with dyslexia might have auditory processing difficulties. They might have difficulty processing the basic sounds of language. Um, It could be that there's an impairment in neural processing of that auditory information. They're not deaf. They're not hearing impaired. They might have that auditory processing difficulty. And and I remember working with a boy uh, one-to-one at the oratory school and I'm sure he had auditory processing difficulties and I'd have to speak really slowly and then say it in lots of different ways and then introduce that scientific piece of terminology really slowly, break it down um, so that he could understand what I was talking about. So it could be um, therm, which means heat. So I'd explain to him a thermometer is something that you measure temperature with because of the therm means heat. And then you can have thermophile, something that likes heat. and and so um, thermals that the birds fly on. And, and so break that word down to the Latin and Greek and get them to understand it. They might be listening to it and they just can't get it because their brain is just full of that information and it just can't process it. What I noticed recently was I was working with a girl and we were talking about um, celiac disease. And we were doing a case study on a lady called Heather, who was Scottish. And I said, right, watch the video. So I put the video on in class and I said, now write up the case study. She couldn't. She couldn't write up the case study because she didn't understand the video. She couldn't process that information in the video. So what I did was I took my iPad on a Saturday night whilst watching, I don't know, Strictly Come Dancing or whatever it was. And link that up to Microsoft Word, read aloud. And I ran the video through Word and it typed the whole thing up for me. The next week, I said, there's a transcript. Can you now write the case study? And she said, yes. And I highlighted the key words so she could understand it. It was amazing. The difference. Did a podcast long time ago with Angharad Welsh on verbal reasoning, which mm-hmm. I didn't really understand what it was at the beginning of the podcast. And mm-hmm. as I listened, I learned about it. And it is um, basically verbal comprehension, understanding, things like that. Um, but it's also a lot more. So if you ask someone, why, what did we do at the weekend? It's being able to identify, well, what are the key bits of information from all that information given to me? Mm-hmm. It's that prioritizing bit, understanding. Also, the different levels of question, the blank mm. um, questions, I think they're called blank question scale. And this fourth level, which is very abstract, um, and it's how you can simplify that to a second or third, but also using visual prompts. So what did you do at the weekend? If someone's going, um, you could say they've got brain freeze, they don't know what to say. You know they've done lots, but they can't mm. say anything. If you had on the whiteboard just loads of different pictures, Keywords. different activities, yeah, and they can yeah. look and go, oh, I play football on Saturday morning. It gives mm. them a starter. It does. Sometimes with that brain freeze, it's it's they just trying to work out what did I do at the weekend. They're going, oh, maybe what's important to them or their highlight. It's just working out what there's lots of falling over those sorts of things. I think on younger pupils, so that verbal reasoning was a really fascinating podcast. Wow, um, I was working with my um, 
nephew recently. I'll call him Oliver for now. He says, Auntie Susie. He lives in Yorkshire. He says, oh, Ibargum. I said, oh, hello, how are you? No, I didn't actually. I just said, hello, how are you? And he said, oh, I don't understand monoclonal antibodies. I said, oh, okay. So guess what I did? What I did was, first of all, Dale can't see this because I've got it under the table. Okay. So what I did was I took a rat. It's a very big black rat. Um, because I couldn't find any mice. Okay. So um, I used the rat first of all. And I said, well, just pretend this is a mouse. Okay. Um, what I did was I then explained to him how they make monoclonal antibodies. I had sugared mice. And first of all, I played him um, a BBC bite-sized video on monoclonal antibodies. He watched it. I said, do you understand that? He goes, oh, no, Auntie Susie, I don't understand any of that. So um, what I did was, here's one I prepared earlier, piece of paper, piece of paper. Um, I did the same job. I got the video and I ran it through into, into Word and I got a script of what it was about. Okay. And this is just the first paragraph of the script. Put very simply, mon monoclonal antibodies are antibodies made of a single clone of very specialized cells. They're really useful because they only target one specific antigen, and the scientists who produce the monoclonal antibodies can choose the antigen they target. So I did that. I highlighted the keywords, then put the keywords on little cards. It's got a little card there. Yeah. So we got monoclonal antibodies, antibodies, single clone, antigen, mouse, antigen. So we got those keywords from there. And I also used a whiteboard. And actually, at one point, he couldn't hear me. So I was writing instructions on the whiteboard on the back. Uh, I can't hear you. Can you leave and rejoin? Um, and then I listed out. This is here as it was. Um, seven stages or eight stages of how you produce monoclonal antibodies. And I held this up at the screen on the old Microsoft Teams. And I said, now I want you to take that and I'm going to talk you through it. And I want you to write it out in your own words. And I want you to put pictures with it. So we've watched the video. We've got the transcript. We've got the cards. We've now got the stages. I then showed him the video again and he could do it. And it's all those layers because he didn't, he couldn't access the information from the video to start with. Yeah. So he went through that whole process and he got it in the end. And his dad said he, he understands it now, which is really good. I'd never heard of whatever those antibodies are in in the first place. Let's just start with, let's just leave that there. Yeah. Yeah. I'll leave it there. <laughs> so, you know, if you've got problems with auditory processing, provide that information in the written form. As I said, transcribe those video files to text on this piece of paper here. Might use text help, read and write as well. Repeat the information back in many, many different ways. Um, obviously using my multi-sensory teaching. Keep that background noise to a minimum. And, and use that um, assistive technology because it really, really helps. I've got two more examples. The eye. One of the girls didn't understand the eye, so I got a giant eye. Actually, it's a football, and I blew it up, and I threw it at her, and I showed her 
how to do that. I actually have it in my suitcase there, but I'm not sure whether you want did me you to. Did you tell her you're going to throw it at her? Was there a reason? You, you, well, so just... she could catch it and understand all the different parts. And then the same with the neuron. We did it with the class and they didn't understand it. And we had, say, seven labels and they got one out of seven. Then we got the neurons and then we shook them. We said, this is the cell body. This is the axon. And then they could do it. And then they got seven out of seven. Wow. Yeah. Is, I think when you just read some text and you're literally going, I don't get this, how this works. And having it, doing it in a different senses. And Susie is always about multiple senses, as you can tell from all the interesting sound effects. I get the whole visual feast of everything Susie does. And I've no idea what's going to come out of that suitcase next. Um, but it is, it is rather than just having someone explain it to you with words, hearing and watching um, and interacting makes things, ah, it's an inflatable eye, like a Halloween style um, um, ball that you can have your Halloween hanging up. She's now going to blow up. I don't know how, it's quite a big ball, Susie. But I'm a trumpeter, Dale. Oh. That so is, I can do long notes. That is pretty impressive. Yeah. There is actually a quick way of inflating this, but I don't seem to have got the pressure valve in the right place. <laughs> it's almost there, and it is... <gasps> 14 inches around this giant eyeball covered in veins <gasps> see she hasn't got her blue beta badge of here's one I made earlier <gasps> don't any happy there you there go there you Dale go. Cat Excellent. So you've got the eyeball there. You've got the um you can you can see the iris on the outside, the blue bit, you've got the pupil. Um you've got the you've those little capillaries on the outside, you can see there. You can that that white bit's the sclera. So really nice eyeball and she couldn't get the difference between the pupil and the iris, so I blew it up and threw it at her and then she understood it. <laughs> She loved it. I said, this is for you. She absolutely loved it. Yeah. Love so it. there's one I prepared earlier. Love it. Sorry about all the blowing there, but, you know, you, I, I suddenly found the valve. I've got the valve in the right place. My last bit I'm going to say today, Dale, is about brain freeze. And actually, I was talking to my cousin. Um, my cousin's Jewish. And I said to him, do you know, the one thing about the Jewish people is that they eat chicken soup. And um, when anybody's ill in our family, they're always force-fed chicken soup. But I said to him, if you sent me chicken soup in um, Hebrew, I wouldn't understand it. There's the word in Hebrew for chicken soup there. Yeah. And you can just imagine, you know, um, children with the specific learning difficulties, special needs, or even the Nepalese. You're going to deliver something in class now. And their English isn't all that good, you know, and they might have difficulty with understanding what you're saying. So you've got to break it down. 
And I think I think it's a good thing to put the Nepalese together because you might have a student that's been here five years, four, three, two, one, and they all help one another to then translate that information. So it's good for those people who have English as second language to help one another. Yeah. And understand um, the information and to be able to translate it so that it can do the work. Nice. So this whole podcast has literally been about under, help you need to understand your pupils mm. to help them understand themselves. So at the start of this, you are you are going to be providing the agency. Mm. Mm. But the whole point is by you learning knowing your students, you can ha- you can work out what weight works for them and mm. then help them and they will hopefully run with that mm. um and use that to further their learning. Work out what and I think that goals which um, going back to that whole estate agent is moving houses, your goal yeah. is what is their goal and how yeah. do I get towards it? That's what you're really trying to instill into them. Mm. And I do think sometimes in schools, where am I going is often lost. Yeah. And a, a, yeah. Quali- a test isn't, isn't a goal. No. And to find out those students that are struggling and they're behind with their work, quite often find out. It's because they just haven't got anything to to aim for because they just don't know what they're going to do. And the tutor said to me, Susie, it's okay not to know what you want to do, but it's not okay not to do something about what you don't don't know what you want to do. So it's important to signpost that student to careers to find out alternatives and ideas that they can do in the future. And I think if you if you if we go into that deprivation deprived family things, Mm. if you if your parents aren't working. Mm. Um, and you have no real money in that house, yeah. you're not going to travel all the world. You're not gonna even going to travel the country. You're not really going to go anywhere. So you don't know what work looks like. Mm. You don't know where to go. You don't know what things mean. You, your, your experiences of the world are going to be very limited. So you can't aim very far. And as a local school, we use their pupil premium money. So they had a number of children in Bracknell. Yeah. Who at the age of 14, 15 had never left Bracknell. Wow. Which for me, it's not a big place either. If you don't know Bracknell, no. it's not big. And at that point, it wasn't even that nice. There's a lovely new shopping centre now, which is great. So the people premium money was used to take them to Windsor for the day. Lovely. Which is a, not far away, but it's a very, very different town. It is. It's a very different mm, town. You've got the castle. Beautiful. You've got the river. You've got mm. the lovely shops. You've got lots of different mm, things. Just, just theatre. And that experience kind of opened up their eyes. And they said by doing that, they could actually measure a difference in the pupil's attainment. Mm. They did this with the Community Minds Partnership Group um, that set up. It was originally set up at college. and. Um, they got people from the army to shadow students um, in the in the local schools, and they set up um, teaching them how to cook. And then they had an event at the village, and these students planned it. And apparently, their attainment improved as well afterwards. After they got into this group and enjoyed doing it, and planned the activity, and um, they they planned a dinner with singing and dancing. And, and they started to do better. They had something to aim for to see what the world was all about. Yeah, that's the thing. I think sometimes if you watch all these things on TV, but you just don't experience it, you think, oh, it's just that's what was made up. That doesn't happen. But if you can actually sit there and go, actually, no, some of this does happen. 
there are families who live like this. There are people who do this. And if you do well at school, you can work towards doing that and you can actually go to you things. You can, it is, there's lots of, but you've kind of got to help them. You've got to help them learn that there can be more. Um, and I think, and it's without, it's really hard to imagine my parents, we didn't travel the world. We did lots of holidays in the UK, but we did lots of little things and it gave me a, a world of experiences. And, and it wasn't until I was in college that I really appreciated when I could do things that others couldn't. And it's because I wasn't afraid of doing it because my parents had helped me do it. Whereas for them at the age of 16, they were doing it for their first time. And I've been doing something since I was eight. And it was just a real eye opener that all those experiences. So the college te um, Susie teaches at and lots of children get, you get, I was trained there. So train or bus is a very common thing. And my daughter's going to get on the train. She doesn't pay attention to trains. She just follows me. So already she's starting college at Susie's college in September. So I've sent her off. You've got to go to college on the train for a day. So she went to college. She went for, she found the local McDonald's. Um, and that's going to be obviously a favorite of hers, but it was just giving her that experience of not following me going and doing it on her own. Coming independent. And I'm, I'm fortunate that my daughter, I can push her. I kind of thought about things I can do that, but that's not happens for everyone. And some people can't afford to go on the train. So they'll just walk and they walk everywhere and all. So, yeah. So, Agency is about having them, helping them have a dream or something they can aim for that they might not believe in. But if you can believe in, if you can make steps and give them a glimpse of what it could look like, it's going to help them work towards it. Yes, when you do it. You can be in cure it the way around it. When you're being cute, you can do it. Why? I've not seen that advert for ages. You can do it when you're being cute. You can do yeah. it when you're being cute. That's the one. Yeah. Um, so thank you for coming on the show today, Susie. Oh, thank you, Dale. I've thoroughly enjoyed the Percy Pigs and playing the operation game with you. I'll be playing operation after we've ended. I can okay. finally get my go. Um, okay. We'll be putting things, uh, links to things we've mentioned and other things you'll find useful in the show notes. There's loads of stuff from Susie and she's even linked to some of her previous podcasts. I'll also be sharing Susie's contact details and you can find the show notes on our website or wherever you listen to this podcast. So thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, please click on the subscribe button. You can follow us on social media, on Twitter, we're at The Sendcast, on Facebook, The Sendcast, and on Instagram, The Sendcast. Very quite simple. Um, and if you're struggling to show progress, if your assessment process is overcomplicated, takes too long, or you just want to see what is available, have a look at the B-squared website or book a free online meeting with me so I can take you through our products. We have a range of assessment products to help all schools show pro small steps of progress for pupils with SEND. If you're a school in England still confused by the engagement model, not sure about the pre-key stage standards or how they should be used, or anything else around assessment, get in contact. You can also find out about our online training and conferences, read our blog or watch our webinars. It is all on the B-Squared website. You'll find a link to the website and to book a meeting with me in the show notes. And you can also drop me an email. My email address is dale at bsquared.co.uk. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Sendcast. It's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me and Percy. Goodbye. Bye.